Hey, thank you for listening to the Change Your Filter podcast powered by Contractor Commerce. The Change Your Filter podcast is for people who are humble enough to recognize that they don't have all the answers and they approach life with more questions. Hey, this is Ryan Chute with Wizard of Ads, and I'm here with Tall Paul on the Change Your Filter podcast. Guests, welcome. This is your host of the Change Your Filter podcast, Tall Paul, but you knew that, otherwise you would not be listening. You know, part of the strategy here with a podcast is to prepare. So with our guest today, I've talked to him a few times, but I don't really know him well. And that's also the the beauty of a podcast like this is I get to meet people at the same time you do. I get to peel back layers of the onion. Well, I wanted to be prepared. So I prepared this opening bit that had all of this geographical information questions about Newfoundland. Okay. Because I thought our guest today was from Newfoundland because I was going to make fun of Americans who don't understand Canadian geography and the difference between like Toronto and Vancouver. And as I got closer to kickoff time here, I realized our guest is not from Newfoundland. He's from Nova Scotia, which is basically Eastern Maine. He's a collegiate kayak or row away from being American. So I'd like to use that awkward intro to introduce our guest, Ryan Shute, who is the master strategist and partner at Wizard of Ads, the sales operations strategist at Wizard of Sales, and the chief operating officer at Iconic Design. And based on the notes I read about him before this podcast might be the most interesting person I've ever met. So Ryan, <laughs> welcome. Hey, how's it going, man? It's going well. I'm so glad we're able to finally connect. You and I, as I mentioned before, have talked about contextual things in the industry before, business-related stuff, shared customers, and it's been pretty high level, but I knew after my first or second interaction with you that there are many layers to my friend Ryan here. So I wanted to, one, selfishly get to know you more, and two, share some of your story with our audience. So let's open this up with Tell me your story. Who's Ryan Shute? How did you get here today to the Change Your Filter podcast, the pinnacle of your professional journey? And I say that jokingly. It really is. It is the pinnacle of my career right now. It is all, everything that I have done has led up to this very moment in time. It started off, I guess, you know, I'll start off back when I dropped out of high school. You know, I was, my, my family had, had done a pretty good job at convincing me that I was a lazy and stupid Neanderthal, but uh, uh, ultimately. Hold on, pause there for a moment. So <laughs> you say that, you say that jokingly, and that's funny, but what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I wasn't great at school. I, I dropped out of school. I, I skipped a lot of school. I really just wanted to be there for the basketball and uh, um, classes were excruciating for me. They were just so slow. They were always uh, pandering to the lowest common denominator. So I was like, nah, not for me. Uh, so I went and got my GED and uh, and and got my high school diploma and, and went into the Canadian military. I uh, spent a few years there becoming a, a marksman, and uh, that was kind of the pinnacle and uh, kind of a special moment for me as I uh, as I was kind of recognized for being able to do something a little bit more competently than, uh, than my uh, band of brothers. Tell me more about that. Uh, what is a marksman for those who are not familiar with Canadian military? A sniper. There you go. That's an American word right there. Yeah. Yeah. More sophisticated crowd might call it 
a marksman here in America. <laughs> it's a sniper and it's pretty awesome. But, but sorry, go ahead. Absolutely. No, no, no. So, so the one thing that you don't get, um, when you're in the military is a lot of money and, and I had some fairly <laughs> and, uh, large ambitions. So I decided, Hey, let's uh, get into the family business. My family ran uh, furniture stores for uh, decades, years and years and years, and uh, was raised by this, you know, serial pack of uh, entrepreneurs in the gulags of retail. And when I had my degree, I, I was like, you know what, let's let's go to university at much faster pace. I was able to get through university with a, a degree uh, in, in business. Uh, I was on the honor roll and the dean's list. I uh, managed to uh, recognize that I wasn't that dummy that uh, that I felt like I was going through high school where we were just weren't operating at the same pace really. Right. So that, that only lasts so long before you kind of, you know, need to get out from underneath the wing of, of family. Um, so I managed to move out West first and foremost. Once I moved out West, I, I kind of found myself and uh, decided that I wanted to get into a different industry. Where is out West when you're from Nova Scotia? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So out West is Alberta. Alberta. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and on a map for my American counterparts, where's Alberta? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like above Montana. Yeah. So it's middle of nowhere, really. It's oil country. Yeah. And, uh, but not as far as Portland, you know, so it's, uh, Oregon that is. Nothing is as far as Portland anywhere in the world, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We love you, Portland. We love you. (laughs) I absolutely adore Portland. What a great city. Um, but out West, you know, uh, lower taxes and, and, uh, Lots of very uh, conservative mindset and lots of money, lots of opportunities. Yeah. So uh, from there, I, I was we sold the furniture business in the while I was out there. So I said, "Hey, let's uh, get into a different industry," and I got into the auto industry. Uh, that led me to becoming how old at this time? Gosh, uh, late twenties, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, so it's. Uh, it was great in my in my mid 30s i became a sales trainer uh, for the auto industry and ended up going all around the world i've been in four continents eight countries uh, teaching people how to how to sell cars and how to grow their businesses how to, how to clean up some of their fixed operations and really uh, drive those revenues um, and had huge success with that in fact they they uh, put me in charge of growing the whole pacific rim for uh, about a little over a year uh, so i spent a lot of time in asia and uh, Australia and, and uh, New Zealand and uh, had a really great opportunity to learn a ton from a lot of really smart people and uh, work with some fairly high level guys at, uh, at, uh, at the OEM level, at the manufacturer level. And um, that's really where I got a bit of a taste for wanting to do something a little bit more than, you know, sit in a retail shop the rest of my life. And uh, Wizard of Ads had been kicking around for a real long time, you know, with with his books. I, I'd known for years. I'd been paying attention to the Monday Morning Memo for for a long time. And uh, the MondayMorningMemo.com is is where Roy posts a, a memo each Monday. Has been doing it for thirty five years and has never missed a Monday in thirty five years. Absolutely staggering. Um, so I've read literally all of them. Uh, there's over eight hundred, and uh, was a bit obsessed and. He said, hey, I'm thinking about getting stepping back a little bit from the Wizard Academy, which is his not-for-profit school that teaches people how to uh, persuasively communicate. And I said, now's the time. I got to go see him. And that's exactly what I did. So I, uh, I, I took a class called The Magical Worlds, and it's kind of their cornerstone class. And holy cow, it, it, was, it, was, it literally changed my life. 
in every way. It changed everything that, that I learned and knew and, and knew to be right. Uh, I was so astounded at how profoundly wrong I was on so many things that had to do with communication and persuasion. Right. And, and I was hooked. That was it. I, uh, I, I, I went to class after class after class. In 2017, I sent him a single-lined email that says, can we talk? Uh, literally three words. He responded back. We chatted and chatted and chatted for hours on end. And uh, he, he invited me to become a partner, which is the only way you can become a partner. And, uh, and the, the gap that I wanted to fill was this, this whole gap of the employee experience and the customer experience. Well, well, Wizard of Ads does such an extraordinary job at at the the messaging, at the at the story, at the at the storytelling side of things, the advertising side, the media buying side. I wanted to be able to deliver on what what happened from those promises. How can we carry that through to the inside of the company and deliver a world class buying experience? And um, that that's where I've hung my hat for the last four years. I have so many questions, but before we move on, I want to go back to when you moved out West and you started in the auto industry, what exactly were you doing and what was the path from starting in the auto industry on, you know, a self-discovery tour out West to becoming a world renowned Mm -hmm. trainer in the auto industry? What was that period of time? Like fill me in on that. I want to know more. Yeah, that was about four years that I was, I was, uh, I started off in the business office. So I was selling the finance and insurances of, of the, uh, of the company, um, at a car dealership, at a car dealership. Yep. Um, just doing the kind of the day, the day-to-day slog, uh, and, and really starting to understand the industry and, and some of the nuances of the industry. And then I moved into a general management position, uh, with a a small dealership. I'd moved back to Nova Scotia at that time to be closer to family and brought my bride with me. And, and we, uh, had a, uh, had it set up there and ran that car dealership for a couple of years. And, uh, from there said, Hey, I, I'd really like to uh, do this thing and, uh, um, of traveling more and, and, and training. So getting out of the office and doing some more traveling. So what happened one day was a guy called up out of the blue and said, Hey, you know, where did you, where did you come up with this letter that I got in the mail uh, from you saying, you know, that if you're looking for a trade and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I I wrote that myself. He goes, really? Um, I said, yeah, that's how I get all my business. I don't have to worry about, you know, waiting for a customer to show up. I'm going to, I'm going to drum up some business. He goes, well, we have a company that does just exactly that. And then we train people and we do this all around the world. I'm like, that's fascinating. And I pull this up and see this company and go, oh, wow. And they discover that there's many, many of these companies around. And this is kind of the big premier version of the company. So I said, hey, I'll, I'll give it a, a give it a go. I, I applied. They hired me. And uh, for the first little bit, I did Canadian stuff and was in Canadian dealerships doing that work and then moved from that to uh, the United Kingdom and traveled around all of the United Kingdom doing it there for seven or so months and then went to South Africa and uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Asia, and uh, just rinsed and repeated the process over and over again. They said, wow, you're really good at this. Why don't we get you to set up Australia permanently and and we'll uh, build out the Pacific Rim? And that's exactly what I did. Twist my arm. Right. It's very difficult to live in a place where people vacation all the time. Quite distracting at times. I imagine. So, I, it has been said that the home services industry, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, is a decade behind the car industry and that you can look toward the car industry to see trends, 
and different things that are headed the way for home service companies. Is that true? Or do I need to change my filter on that? See how I incorporated the thing there. Is that true? And share some insight around just the correlations or the learnings between those two verticals. Oh, you, 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 great question. That's a really great question. And I didn't prepare you for this question. So I, I apologize. I totally didn't, but, but, but there are so many correlations. One of the things that, that Roy teaches us in the magical worlds and through his books, the, the wizard of ads trilogy was about Henry Ford and Henry Ford had this, uh, this penchant for building a car better than how everyone else was building a car, which took three to six months to build each individual car in the backyard. And it was just like, this is too time consuming and expensive and everything else. There's no practical way for the planet to have, have all have a car. So he went to the meat district in, in Chicago and where he, when, when he went into the meat district, what he discovered was that they had these assembly lines and the meat guys would just cut one piece of the meat, slide it down on the hooks. And the next guy would cut the next piece of meat. And they were able to churn through three to 600 uh, sides of beef a day. And he's like, this is genius. I can do this in cars. And that's exactly what he did. So what it teaches us is that you can find all of these other solutions that somebody has already solved, but in different industries, which is one of the big benefits of me being in home services right now is that I'm looking at the furniture industry and the airline industry and the, and the uh, jewelry business and the automotive business as ways that we can absolutely improve and and notice things that no one's noticing in home services right now. One of the biggest things, and I love that you brought this question up because it's an obsession of mine, is scheduled maintenance. Scheduled maintenance. Everybody and their dog talks about maintenance clubs and, and, and maintenance programs. When you travel around the world and you see how sophisticated the maintenance strategies are for Hyundai in London, England, they are second to none. They have figured this out to the penny of exactly what you need to do to do it what right, to do it efficiently, to do it profitably, and to drive that long-term business. Well, nobody in the home service business as a rule, and, I, and I'm not being categorical, but I am being kind of generally true, uh, that no one talks about scheduled maintenance. No one's talking about the three to every three to five years you need to clean your ducts, that every uh, year to two to three years that you need to descale your uh, waterless, ta- uh, tankless uh, water heater, that you need to do these things to, to maintain, and that a little bit of preventative maintenance goes an awful long way. Well, Boy, does that ever fit nicely into the wizard of ads because we're building a relational customer base. We're trying to drive value over price. And ultimately, the best way that you can demonstrate that is with the with the small purchase, with the uh, with the small play that people can trust so that when it comes time for those big purchases like the water heaters and the new HVAC systems, that you're the only and obvious choice. So a couple of things. One, I've been pronouncing Hyundai wrong my whole life. I've been calling it Hyundai, which is interesting because there's a Y after the H. This is a perfect (laughs) example of things that are flying under our faces that we don't recognize we've been doing incorrectly. Is it surprising to you that I've never heard it called Hyundai? I didn't either until I got to Australia. Got it. I didn't either. It makes sense. Yes. And, and when you start to look at the geographic uh, uh, correlation there, you start to realize that they're probably much more likely to be right than we are, uh, particularly <laughs> considering that it's the number one selling product in the uh, in the country over there. 
That's a great point. Now, the second question I had to clarify about scheduled maintenance, can you give me an example of a contractor in the United States who gets what you just said there, the practical application of what you've learned that's been applied through Wizard of Ads that has done something different with scheduled maintenance? Yeah. I mean, a lot of our clients are now are now starting to adopt scheduled maintenance. I really you know, made that connection to the specific word scheduled maintenance in, in December of last year. And I was thinking as, as we were going through and I was having some sort of conversation with one of our clients and it was about the, the club membership and we were building out their club. And I'm like, well, hold on a second here. We can break these services up. If we were to say, here's, you know, what what do most people have for a club membership? They don't actually have a, a, a tune-up. They they have a check. They have a check and clean, right? Morris Jenkins, uh, as, as we all know, says check and clean on all of their advertising. They don't say tune-up because it actually is a check and clean. They're not actually tuning anything up. If if you were, you'd, you'd pay extra for that. That would be the tune-up. Um, yep. but, they're, but they're doing a masterful job at f- identifying those issues. The reality of any maintenance club is that it's about getting the car in the hoist, so to speak. It's about, you know getting it up there, doing a level one diagnostic, seeing where the potential problems are, ranking them in a good, better, best, or a red, green, blue scenario, and and presenting those options to the customer. Well, where we struggle in the maintenance world is that we're not really figuring out what we can consistently sell at the maintenance level without alienating the customer. Really easy to alienate a customer if we keep on going back for these discretionary purchases of the the, the the air scrubbers and the surge protectors and everything else. It's like every time you guys come in here, you're trying to sell me something. Well, you know, you're right. Maybe we should try to sell you things that you need instead of things that we want to sell you. And, and therein lies the rub, you know, so... I think that there's a ton of really great companies out there doing an excellent job of of it. As to the scheduled maintenance and if they're pursuing it from that angle, I don't know. But I know that Service Champions does an amazing job with it. I know that Gettle does an amazing job. I know that that Morris Jenkins does an amazing job at these at these types of things. Um, and that there's this huge opportunity to say, hey, look, every three to five years, let's think about it like the Olympics. Right. We've got the Summer Olympics and we've got the Winter Olympics. Back in the 80s, I think they decided, let's stagger it instead of having like Olympics, Olympics all in one year. We'll go Olympics, Summer Olympics this year and two years later we'll have the winter and then it's back to summer and every four years they're doing their thing. Well, isn't the same uh, hold true for things like uh, deep cleaning the three most essential elements of your HVAC system, the evaporator coil, the blower motor, and the condenser? That could be bundled up into a, a, a once every four-year service. We could also take a, a duct cleaning, and we could bundle that up into an every four-year service and then stagger them every two years. And now we have a way that we can sell on essentially every two-year cycle something that provides a proper preventative maintenance for our clients at a reasonable premium and deliver on a a revenue stream in maintenance until such time as they're ready for a demand service or a new unit. I've never heard the term deep cleaning as it relates to scheduled maintenance or any sort of home service other than carpet cleaning, of course, but it's a brilliant way to describe a clean and check. Well, more than a clean and check, but it, just the language is, it resonates. The clean the, the clean and check is what you get every time. And the deep cleaning is what you get every once in a while when things start to get real filthy and gross. Yeah. And, and that's a category that exists. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. People know that if they've had a housekeeper or whatever. 
Well, and it's it's such a natural vertical for the HVAC companies uh, to to embrace because it, it gives an opportunity for revenue stream and particularly a, a pretty solid revenue stream in those shoulder seasons. So I want to move on to talk more about Wizard of Ads and Roy Williams, but I'm stuck on something that I read in your notes here. And <laughs> please excuse me for sharing this verbatim, but it says here, I've explored the darkest anatomy of the human condition. Yep. And I believe what I've learned could be quite helpful in a pinch for those pure of heart looking to make their fortunes as I have. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, I, 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 um, I have a very strong belief system, something that I didn't have in my early 20s and something I established at about 28 years of age. Yeah. And I really made a commitment to being true to myself. And uh, in so much as that, I, I literally wear two bands on my wrist that that speak to the research that I've done over the last four years that that, that go to that. And it really boils down to one simple uh, concept, intent. We can intend to be evil, horrible, skullduggering evildoers very easily. It's very easy to do that. This is uh, otherwise known quite often as short-term thinking or, you know, do what you got to do to get the sale today, all of those things. And I can assure you, I have seen and participated in some of the most despicable acts of sales that you've ever seen. Stuff that would make you feel dirty, so disgusting that you just need to go home and shower. Um, It's that bad. And I've also seen the purest and the most perfect and the most powerful of plays. And I knew it uh, during this time in the, in the automotive industry, which is really just a, you know, a, an ecosystem of, of the, the best and the worst, what road that I wanted to go down. And, and frankly, that was one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to shift away from the automotive industry is because there's a whole lot more bad going on than good. There was a whole bunch more fear and desperation and survival mode thinking than there was thriving mode thinking and and generational wealth and and uh, distribution of resources to people like the employees, the skilled laborers that put in so much of the work that that become the champion of our profit and our success. So really what it boils down to is I've chosen a road of of good intent for first and foremost, the employees and the people that, uh, that I affect and touch every single day and that they will in turn do the same for others because th- they're in the right space at the right time, um, aligning their brand with the right intent. And when we do that, we, we've got the recipe for exponential success, not just let's make a little bit of money right now. So my definition of success isn't just money. You know, I've made lots of money doing evil things but I've also made a whole bunch more money doing the right things. I want to move on to the next question, but I can't because I need to know more about (laughs) despicable sales practices in the auto industry. Would you say that from your experience and your current observation that the auto industry is getting their act together? Is it cleaning up a little bit? Is it better or worse than it was? And then the second part to that question is how would you compare that to what's going on in home services now? Is it the same condition? What's going on? Yeah. So, you know, I I picture it like this. The the automotive industry in North America is absolutely not getting its act together. If anything, they're getting worse Um, because there's no regulation. There's no there's nobody paying attention They're They're able to get away with absolute, utter, despicable acts. Give me an example of a despicable act that a 
car, let's call it dealer, might be getting away with today that we might not even be aware of? Sure. So man- manipulation is, is, is the obvious one that comes to the top of the list. You know, the, all of the lies that, that people are told, uh, all of the uh, ways that employees are treated in such a, a, such a nasty, negative way. It's, it's what I've dubbed the, the anti-motivators, the, the weaponized fear, shame, and guilt that is imposed upon both customer and employee to make a deal happen right now or suffer the consequences. Right. And that's just one example of very, very many. A lot of them have to do with, you know, how we price it, how we cat and mouse those pricing, how we create an environment where we're just absolutely pretending as though something is something that it's not and using that as a way to close the deal in a, in a manipulative way. That along with the pressures that are put on the 100% commission salespeople who have to sink or swim. And if, uh, look, if you don't close this deal, might as well walk out the door with the customer because uh, you're not working here anymore. All of this, this, this psychological abuse is so old school. And listen, I, I, I'm not really blaming them or, or saying that they're uh, necessarily as leaders wrong in what they're doing. And I say that very specifically because they don't know any other way. And that's one of the things that really drove me to do the research that I've done and uncover and unearth some of those things that really um, point us in a different direction to get as good or better a result. So speaking of regulation, do you feel like there are some checks and balances in play in the auto industry just because of the access of information on the internet and online pricing and online marketplaces like cars.com or auto whatever.com? Like, does that help level the playing field a little bit? Um, you would think it does. And in, in North America, it doesn't even have a sniff of an effect, not even a little bit of an effect. You go to Australia and United Kingdom and it has a profound effect where they've deeply regulated. So if we look at it from a, a sequence of regulation, the UK got deeply regulated back when the bank started uh, taking advantage of customers and got caught for it and had to pay back billions of dollars. So they went into this deep regulation state and basically sucked all of the profitability out of selling a car. Then they moved uh, to Australia where Australia is trying to be like UK's little brother and do all of those things in the right way, but doing it in a really kind of poor way. Um, they'll eventually catch up, but they're ahead of North America, who is still 100% Wild West. And while we pretend like these regulatory bodies actually have some sort of, uh, of effect, uh, while we have, uh, you know, some belief that, you know, online pricing and all this stuff has dramatically affect uh, the way business is done, it really hasn't. Got it. And, and now I figured out why I'm having a hard time transitioning to the second question, which is, who is Roy Williams? I want to know more about Ryan Shute. So we're just going to have to come back to this and maybe do it again. But earlier you mentioned kind of your journey and being a fan, an observer, a consumer of the content from Roy Williams. And you reached out to him and said, we should have a talk. And he said, you should be a partner. So tell me who is Roy Williams? Mm-hmm. Okay. Roy, <laughs> Roy, Roy's a genius, like literally a yeah. genius, like in every, every sense of the word, this, this man, um, 
came from nothing. He single mom worked his butt off, has a deep, deep, deep respect for, for, for women and, and what his mother, you know, had provided for him as his wife. Um, I've never met a man who has more respect for women than, than this man. And that just really, to me speaks to his character. Uh, I'm blessed. I fully 100% feel so blessed that he's my mentor and, and he's my partner. We're legal partners in, in every sense of the word. And, and ultimately, um, his approach to ad writing is just so different, so different uh, from the advertising standpoint, from the marketing standpoint, than everybody else talks about. When I went to university and took these marketing courses, I'm like, all the stuff they talk about in there is just nonsense compared to what actually matters on the ground for a small business, which is everything that Roy talks about. But from this bizarre angle of approach, like like quantum physics and third gravitating bodies and fine art, the best art in the world from Da Vinci and Monet and, and Van Gogh and all of these geniuses um, and what they did to affect the, the visuals that represent them today, how they're profoundly different. He, he goes so deep into the, the aspects of Monet and uh, his effect on the color, using the color black and how it affects shadows. And there was no, there was no art prior to him that actually explored depth with, with shadowing and with black the way he did, which is why he's a Renaissance painter. He's, he's a, he's a person so prolific in the, in the world, screenwriting and, and how we look at character development, famous photography, like, like, like Robert Frank, who, who takes these weird angled up close perspectives and frame line magnetism, poetry that, that, that allows us to engage the imagination in a way that we could never, ever hope to engage it by, you know, pooping an ad out onto the radio, right? right. That sounds like an ad, right? It's just, it's just so fundamentally different when we start exploring it from both the art and the science of what it is that actually is affecting and persuading people in a sincere and honest way. So the, the neuroscience and psychology is, is, is the other really big aspects that he's really dug into, you know, the, the research around post-traumatic stress and, and, and the, the impact that emotion has on the retention and recall mechanisms in the brain. This is stuff that is, he's gone deep in and taught us about as partners that you get a sniff of at the, uh, wizard academy and you get a you know deep breath of when you become a partner so pretty exciting stuff when you look at it from that way because it allows us to be so fundamentally different um when we deliver what it is that we deliver for marketing and strategy the only story i've ever heard about roy williams prior to this conversation was in an interview with ken goodrich from gettle who said that as he was building his brand he called roy williams and roy told him if you're not going to spend a million dollars, we can't even have a conversation. Um, so to back up a little bit, where does Roy Williams and Wizard of Oz, when and where does it intersect with, we'll just talk about HVAC for the sake of this conversation or home services. Where did that intersect and what is his role in some or your role in, in Wizard of Oz's role in some of the biggest brands and drop some names? Well, and 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 I'll be completely transparent you know roy is quite literally the the person 
um, through Ken Goodrich at, at Gettle, through uh, Dewey Jenkins and, and Jonathan Bannacroft at, at Morris Jenkins, Brian Scudamore at, uh, at 1-800-GOT-JUNK um, and O2E Brands. Roy, Roy has the liberties and the freedoms to be as picky as he, as he wants to be, and he's really only you know, weighing in on one category or industry, and that's it. So, you know, no one can hire Roy to be an HVAC, for example, or plumbing, because he's hooked, hitched his wagon to, to, to Ken Goodrich and, and is going to fully support that. And, and uh, now that Dewey uh, Jenkins is, is no longer in the, in the equation, having recently sold to the wrench group, you know, it's, it's, it's an open space. Now he does have some legacy clients that he doesn't, that he doesn't, uh, you know, step on toes with, but he also doesn't really want to mention those, those names because eventually people just start calling them up and saying, Hey, I want you to, you know, tell me how to get those ads like Roy rats you. And, and Roy was yeah. like, why are you annoying my million dollar millionaire clients? You know, no one wants, you know, to, to, uh, to take those phone calls. So we, we do stay fairly quiet and confidential about a lot of our clients, but there are some that we very purposely make public because there is a, there's an opportunity there to, to serve everyone. You'd be very, very surprised to probably hear that five, percent of all diamond sales in the entire North American market go through Roy's office. That's billions of dollars in diamond sales. The, the, he made his his first you know foray into the world of of Wizard of Ads as a, a, a collaboration with Woody Justice and and uh, and in the diamond business. Uh, he didn't want to hitch his post to just being a you know the guy known for for selling good you know, tons of diamonds for as many great stories as there are in the HVAC and, and home service world, there's equally as many in the retail world. And it's, it's really those channels that we decide that we best serve. We're, we're looking for the type of company that's um, got, got a, a revenue base that makes sense to, to afford the kind of, of, uh, of marketing that we want to do to exponentially grow customers. That being said, there's companies that, you know, are over a hundred million dollars in revenue with us that have a 3% marketing budget, but they're spending all of the marketing that they need to spend. They don't need to spend more, right? So it's not about spending more. It's just about spending what's necessary to get the job done. Same thing happens in, in, in the retail world. There's, you know, it's Roy has a lot of, uh, of, uh, of good stories about Chip Wilson of Lululemon and conversations he's had with, with companies like Hewlett Packard. And he's got, partners and friends that have worked closely with Google and Apple and Amazon and, and all of these different places that have had significant successes with the strategies that we employ. Now, you mentioned that Roy has a pretty exclusive way of working with certain people or certain companies, but you've got a network of partners. So explain the partner network. And then I've got a ton more questions around working with Wizard of Ads. Yeah, it's part, the partner group is, is uh, I didn't even know that the partner group existed back in 2015. Strangely enough, the first class I went to, there was a partner at that, uh, at that uh, same class, Mick Torbay. And Mick and I became friends pretty quick. And, and uh, he uh, ser- serves as one of my creative leads now as uh, is just an absolutely extraordinary human being. This, this man is a, a, a savant when it comes to creative. And, and that's where I learned about the partners. And, and ultimately, the Wizard of Ad partners are legal partners with, with Wizard of Ads, kind of like a law firm would be, you know, where we where you have individual partners. Uh, we're all partner to Roy. We're not partners with each other. And we we tap into our individual resources to build the right team. So I 
I realized quite early on that I'm not going to be a marketing guy ever, full stop. I know lots about marketing and I had known lots about marketing for a number of years in running the family business and and uh, being in the automotive industry where we were running marketing strategies all the time. But I wasn't going to start writing copy or ads or any of those other things. What I wanted to do was find out who was the absolute geniuses at these and bring them in. Well, early on in that process, you know, I came across a, a, a number one media buyer called Caldwell, who is just staggeringly good at buying media and uh, brought him onto my team. And he's he's uh, working for me exclusively now with with all of our uh, home service customers. And he can just kick the pants out of out of a media buy, having worked at the wrench group as a media buyer prior to, you know, prior to, to working with me and, and prior no to that. Deal selling media, uh, for 30 years. So yeah, so no biggie. He's, he's, he's got only, you know, just a tiny bit of experience and is an absolute, you know, we, we call him the teddy bear assassin because he's th- the most lovable person sliding a knife in, in you as, as he, as he buys deals that would make you absolutely <laughs> want to cry. Um, <laughs> so he does that. And then our creative guy puts on a, an impactful message and, we we smash this branded side and then we align that with with our friends like uh, like the folks at Rhino uh, Strategic Solutions and and Jonathan uh, over at Cornerstone and, and and lots of other really great digital guys that we've that we've created and, and developed relationships with who are already working with their existing clients and and just start aligning those those lead gen strategies to the branded strategies so that we get this single unified marketing strategy and uh geez it, it has it ever taken off because it were it it always works right it's always different but it always works and it's not just you know i have a a small team of of uh writers and then kyle doing the the, the media buying and and sometimes a couple of his his disciples and uh geez we can we can really punch hard uh, and make a big splash for our clients and it's that that makes it pretty darn exciting and I know you are super passionate and opinionated around marketing, mass media, digital marketing, those sort of things. I, I want to talk about the fishbowl of Facebook groups and, and kind of peer to peer information sharing among contractors. You know, you go into one of these groups and someone says, I want to grow my business. Who should I call? And it seems like it is like, there's a cycle of like flavor of the week marketing company for a period of time. It's, it seems like it's a 12 or 18 month window where it's like this person's the most popular and this person's the most popular, but I don't see overwhelming mentions or recommendations of wizard of ads. But if you ask the biggest, most successful high growth brands, everyone's like, yeah, once upon a time I signed up with wizard of ads and um, now I'm sorry, I've got to get in my private jet. <laughs> so there's this like tension of you kind of, you fly under the radar. You're kind of in the shadows. Roy's <laughs> doing his thing here. You are just East of Maine doing your thing. Yep. Like, explain to me why more people or how people can work with you, how they find you. And then let's talk a lot about marketing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, we, we're a strong believer in that the, the best advertising is about your customers and their life. And the worst advertising is about you and your business. Right. Yeah. So based off of that foundational principle, 
we're we're basing that off of exactly how we operate. I couldn't afford to. I, I don't have the capacity to bring on a hundred new clients in, in in the next month. I do have the capacity to bring on five to six and and have enough team diversity to be able to get the job done. And I could bring on five to six every month uh, for the next you know twelve months w- without question. But I couldn't do a hundred. Right. So for us to be forefront and to spend a whole bunch of money on advertising and to and to really do the full horse and pony show and, you know, pump, pump the gas. We don't need to pump our gas because our clients refer us to people that we really resonate with. Fit is so crucial when we're we're a very intimate based partnership. We're not a vendor. We're not a supplier. We're a we're a partner. Right. You're you're paying us on your growth. You're paying us up front to buy your media and to get your strategy right. We spend a ton of money to to do it right. And I say we I mean my, me and my teams. I, I, I It's unfair for me to speak about what my other partners do individually with their own strategies. But they all do, you know, a, a great job in their own right following the Wizard of Ads playbook. So what does that mean? That means that we're very happy to be the guy standing in the shadows that everyone goes, hey, I keep seeing him in every picture, but I have no idea who he is. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, and I'm glad that I never had to you know, get in a picture with Epstein. But, you know, th- that's the kind of thing. Right. <laughs> right. This places where you want to get caught in a picture or not. Yeah. Right. Right. So. <laughs> so at the end of the day, yeah, the, the, the real star of the show here is our clients, not us. And. We, we really don't want to to kind of pump the gas on ourselves so much. What we'd rather do is just provide a heap of high value content that gives people the inspiration and confidence and courage to do something different, like embrace the brand. Because look, if branding was easy, everybody and their dog would do it. Branding's not easy. Branding is a long-term play. There are more ways to screw it up than there are to get it right. You buy your media wrong and you're going to spend a heap of money not sinking into the long-term memory of any customer on the planet. You just wasted a whole bunch of money. Radio or TV or billboards didn't work. Why? Because you didn't buy it right, right? Or you look at the radio and you see how much they they bought it for. We (laughs) got to tell you, we had a client recently and i'm not going to disclose names obviously but uh they started off yeah (laughs) we uh we started off first pass on our level of frequency at the reach that we were asking for um started off at 1.12 million dollars was the first pass that's how much they would have walked into the radio station and asked for that uh, radio buy for and they would have summarily walked out because they're a nine million dollar operator we finished that deal off at a higher reach with as much frequency as we started with with more stations at two hundred eighty thousand dollars when you see what a media buyer can actually do for you and then that two hundred eighty thousand dollars we knock the the commission off of it that you would normally pay us we would get paid from the from the media company and we give it back to our client to pay for our fees. So that's why, you know, it it mathematically is so easy for them to, to become a wizard of ads partner. If they can just get past that first hump of, of the uncovery process and really getting it right up front, because there's a bit of a spend there by year number two in 90% of our cases, our clients are getting more money back from the commission that they would have spent on the media buy than our sure. entire team costs as a whole. And, and that's just like, like, Oh, it's a no brainer to have, have them on the team. I'm getting a, a, a top tier 1% uh, 
creative writer who's writing all my web copy, my job ads, my brochures, my my uh, obviously my TV and and radio ads, my billboards, all of those things. But we're also getting that overarching strategy and alignment to tie into the lead generation pieces with the digital partners and and we're getting a media buy that's making us not just a, a name to be recognized in the market, but a household name that people can't forget, know, like, and trust before everyone else. And they're like, yeah, it's a no brainer. So that's, that's why most of our clients last about 10 years with us. And the number one reason why they, we, we, we know are no longer working together is because they've sold their businesses for offensive amounts of money. <laughs> that's right. Sorry. It made me chuckle. Okay. I have a lot of questions, clarifying questions about marketing. <laughs> Absolutely. You talk about brand. What are some yeah. misconceptions around brand and Ooh, yeah. how often do contractors just hear brand and think logo, color, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, Dan and uh, Antonelli and I, I I'd, I'd like to say, you know. I'd like to think anyway, that Dan Antonelli and I have become good friends. I, I really think a lot of Dan Antonelli and, and his position on things and what he's doing for us and with us and, and our clients is, is second to none. Um, he, he is such a wonderful representation of what brand is, but he, he is self-admittedly and, and he very frequently refers me to um, many of his clients is the other parts of brand. So brand is broken up into three major categories. Um, the brand identity as a whole is broken up into brand story, brand image and brand presence. And when you start to realize that it's more than just a truck wrap logo and website, then you start to realize, oh, shoot, my brand is way bigger than than the caricature that I've put on the side of my truck. The character on the side of your truck is very representative of the brand story. And that's where I love working with Dan and his teams is that we're, we're able to to really pump the gas on the narrative of what that caricature stands for of the the apex bear at uh, apex plumbing in columbus uh, columbus ohio and the uh, royal plumbing in corpus christi where we're not the royalty the client is the royalty and we're the servant of the loyalty of the royalty who the customer their castle right and how can we make their castle hassle free um all of these things start to beautifully blend together and we have this this story it's it's like opening up a, a book with your kids and you're reading your kids the book at night and there's all the pictures but all the pictures are from a completely other another story when those brand story images and the brand story the story itself doesn't match up you're like this doesn't make any sense yeah. When it does, your brand story and your brand message and your brand image all start to align. Once we've got all of that right and aligned and consistent, we, we half the time we work with with stuff that Dan's already developed. And the other half the time we're working with stuff where we develop it and then go to Dan and say, here's what we'd like to do to carry on the narrative of that. A great example of that is with Aurora Pro Services in Greensboro, North Carolina. Aurora Pro Services looked like a commercial residential home service company at first. They I remember, were, yeah, right. Yeah. Very stoic, um, corporate red, hard lines, all of those things. And currently, their trucks have a giant picture of his grandmother. His grandmother, by the way, his name is Aurora, right? He named the company after her. It was so obvious that Aurora needed to be represented by his grandmother. That's an actual picture of his grandma on the picture of his trucks. So the brand colors, all speaking to the sentiment of, of 
you know, a loving, caring Christian woman uh, from Colombia. You know, the emails that we send out once a month are recipes of her best food. You know, the, the things that completely tell the story and endear you so much on the customer, that's all branding. All of that's branding. All of his radio ads. What would grandma do? I literally sent them one of my uh, my bands, but I said, it's not going to be my words. It's going to be your words. So on the one side, it says, what would mama, me mamita do? And then on the other side, it says grandmother approved. Two major brandable chunks of their entire campaign. Every single one of his staff wear that to every single one of their phone, uh, their phone calls, their jobs, their installations, their morning meetings. And it becomes the basis of every decision that's made in their company. Why? Because that's what helps customers win. And when the customers win, the employees win, the company wins, Oscar wins, and Grandma Wura wins. I want to take a moment just sit here and smile. That was incredible. And I know Oscar and I know that company and I have not, I've not talked to him in a year and a half and I can't wait to get on and check out what you've done for him. So um, well done. I I want to come back to Mac Media. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm a big fan of Oscar. The man has such a giant heart and is such a wonderful human being who's doing everything he can to be, you know, a success and working hard and, and, and going through the real challenging times that all small businesses go through. And and we're, we're such believers in the in the small guy. You know, most of our clients start with us around three million dollars. A lot of clients start at five and ten and fifteen million dollars as well when they feel they have the, you know, the revenue streams to support a branded campaign, or they've kind of just started to hit the ceiling. That is, um, th- that is kind of the cap of of you know the demand leads that are out there uh, in their particular marketplace and need to find m- different ways of kind of driving that that lead generation and. Um, we're really big champions of the small business owner. That's that's way more important to us. We point to the big players, the big winners, the the obvious ones that 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 have knocked it out of the park. But every single one of those guys started off small. Ken Goodrich himself will admit that when he started with us, he had been losing two point five million dollars on average a year yeah. before bringing the Wizard of Ads on. Look at him now. You know, it's a uh, Morris Jenkins met Roy at $11 million, refused to sign up with him until they were at $21 million when they felt that they were just good enough to be able to deliver on the promises that Roy would make. Um, And those promises we could have promised at $11 million because we only tell the truth. (laughs) We refuse to say something that the company is not capable of doing because that doesn't have any sustainability to it. So (laughs) funny enough, he comes to the table and goes from $21 million, which took them 74 years to get to. And in seven years finishes off at a hundred million plus and selling the company for, you know, record setting uh, multiples. It's unbelievable. And I've shared this on other podcasts before, but I live in Charlotte, so I'm in the same market as Morris Jenkins. And I've been in the HVAC industry my whole career. And my kids have heard me talk about different companies and they've had, I mean, we've had vacations with contractors. They know companies, but after living in Charlotte for like seven days, they knew Morris Jenkins. I kid you not (laughs) because of the Bobby campaign. So any Charlotte listeners, and there are a few of you, you know exactly what that's about. Um, I have a list of questions Um, normally I would save this to the end, but you brought it up. And so I want to make sure we address it right now while it's hot. Um, let's do it. You talk about helping the, the small guy, the company that is 3 million and somewhere in between there. 
if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm a small guy and we'll just say, maybe I'm a startup, maybe I'm 1.2, you know, to 3 million, I will naturally feel like this is a conversation that I shouldn't be a part of because it sounds like it takes a lot of money. It sounds like it takes a quarter million dollars to start. What is the process for starting with wizard of ads? How do you work with wizard of ads? If they go to your website, they're going to see a list of partners and that might seem odd or confusing. That's not a normal, you know, like, Hey, sign up and have a sales rep. Call me. How does someone like Oscar work with you? And um, listeners, we're not done. We have a lot more to talk about marketing, but I want to get this out of the way now. How do people work with you, the small guy? Well, first and foremost, they call me directly. That's I mean, I'll, I'll call it like as is because I'm a sales guy first and foremost, born and bred, there you go. Uh, and, and and unapologetically, and I'm the champion of the ethical, you know, well-intended sale. Um, I I, I am comfortable in saying no that we should not work together or that you should work with these guys first. In fact, this morning I talked to a guy who's literally just starting out, has $50,000 a month in annual revenue or monthly revenue coming in from his residential side. He's, he's bringing in many millions of dollars in his commercial side and said, if we were to correlate this to specifically to your residential side, then this is an investment. It's going to be more than, than what you'd proportionately be making from a revenue stream. And it's going to take you about two years before you're really going to see the, the, the major gains, depending on your propensity for growth. You know, if, if you're able to get from 50 to $100,000 a month in revenue, you've done exceptionally well, 100% growth. We have clients who started off at $0 and used us as an investment strategy from, from the get-go and are breaking a million dollars a month a mere 12 months later. Um, so everyone is different. And, and Roosevelt said something profound. Comparison is the thief of joy. And the, the last thing that we need to do is compare ourselves to the guy who's busting a million bucks a month out right now. The most important thing to do is to compare yourself to where you were yesterday and how we can improve on that today. And, and that's all we're looking to do. So regardless of whether or not you're a startup at $3 million, which is kind of where the tipping point is for our fee structure to kind of mathematically make sense, um, through to being a, you know, I've had three companies in the last 12 months who signed up with me that were in excess of $50 million to start, right? Wow. So everybody, everyone plays in this game. Now we're going to take some of these guys to a billion. We're really comfortable with that. And at a billion dollars, they're going to pay us such disgustingly staggering amounts of money a month that most people would look at that and go, no friggin' way. <laughs> I'm not doing that. You're mental. But we legitimately are a partnership. The realities of a billion dollar company is that they demand a considerable amount more effort and work uh, than a $3 million company from a amount of resources being put out into the field, how many different mediums that you're on, how many channels of media that you're in, um, the analysis of market share and all of that other stuff that has to go into it that require teams of people and data scientists and, and all that stuff. We actually do that behind the scenes and spend very little time telling anyone about it. Why? Right. For at least my teams, we have this obsession that if you're paying us good money, that we should be basically... I'm, we're not your employee and we're not, we're not the marketing manager. We actually work with your marketing management staff for them to do the task driven stuff on the day to day basis. But we are your absolute strategists and, and core players. It's like, it's like hiring a half million dollar or a million dollar employee who knows 
you know, the, the nuts and bolts of growing a business from 3 million to a billion dollars for a fraction of the price and completely proportionate to your revenue stream. So how does it work upfront? We charge an upfront fee that changes, um, Based on the situation, we have two different strategies for companies that are under uh, $3 million in revenue or startups. Um, we, we tend to look at it a little bit differently. We put a, a, a one-person team on and, and have them kind of handle the three major elements, the strategy, the copywriting, and the media buy. And the strategy fits within the digital alignment and, and the non-digital alignment. So the lead gen piece. In the uh, $2.5, $3 million companies and up, we typically put on a team of three. And, and when I say we, I'm, I'm, uh, it's unfair for me to speak to, you know, all of the partners or Roy himself, Roy runs his own, his own strategy, uh, of him and a media buyer. And then whoever he decides to put on his team, the individual partners, they can run their own game plan or, or they can, they can come up with their own ways. But me for the home service industry, specifically dedicated to this with many, many, many clients in this space now have found that the winning recipe is three people, me as master strategist and making sure that the, the cohesion of the plan fits together for both the, uh, the media buy, uh, the uh, advertising and the, and the lead gen pieces, the digital pieces tucked into some of those things are going to be things like recruitment, compensation plans, um, pricing strategy. I have a deep amount of knowledge and, and understanding in that building club memberships, all of those things to make sure that people are actually getting a full robust service from us. We hire out all of our production so that uh, basically you're not paying us extra, you know, the up charges for, for that. We're giving back the commissions for anything that we actually buy for media. So we pay for ourselves fairly quickly. Sure. Um, usually within two years, we're net positive with our clients and then we have a, a monthly retainer and the monthly retainer is, is adjusted each year and, and pairs in with the, uh, the profit of the company. And we just continue to grow with the company. Here's the sticker. And no one else does this in the marketing business is that if the company were to go backwards for all kinds of different reasons, be it self-inflicted wounds of, of, you know, operations going sideways or, you know, a mass exodus of staff or, or some economic, you know, upheaval like Ukraine and inflation and recession, we go backwards with you, right? So it's, we're, we're completely cognizant that we have to stay affordable regardless of the world's circumstances. And we're here to be a legitimate, true, sincere partner that's why we don't tie anything to your expenses because the minute we tie to your expenses is the minute that we are motivated by you spending more, which is the last thing we want you to do for me and my teams. My goal is to get you two double digit profit net profitability within the two year time frame. usually a pretty aggressive marketing spend. That's just going to continue to shrink over time as economies of scale uh, tie in. So truly tied to revenue and growth. Tied to revenue and growth, being a true partner in crime with the, all of the motivations of, of the owner of the company themselves. Yeah. Why aren't yeah. there more companies like yours that do that? Because it's a lot more profitable, a lot more profitable. Do you know that the average marketing company and Madison Avenue, and I'm just going to pick on, you know, the, the obvious choice here is 55% of your marketing spend it goes to their, to their revenue stream. And the most profitable part of that is the onboarding process. So when you're, when you're pulling in 55 points, it's actually to their benefit 
to turn customers every two years, three years or so. Sure. And they yeah. could care less whether or not their marketing works or not. The motivation is nothing to do with you. The motivation is who's willing to give me money, right? With it, us, it's you don't win, I don't win. It's so interesting because there are like marketing agencies like that that may not be awesome agencies that would be brilliant investments from an investment standpoint because they're going yeah. to continue to grow. And um, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier and you've, you've talked about it a few times, mass media. And the reason I want to come back to it, I don't want to uh, roll over it, is we live in an or society in home services where I tried this and it didn't work. So I did this and I tried that and that didn't work. So I did this. And it always seems to be the question is, should I do this or should I do this? And all point, all, it seems that everything would point toward digital marketing, mm. right? Hey, there's millennials and cell phones and internet connected devices and Siri and voice search. And you just need to be found online. So dump all your money into Google ads. Um, tell me about that. Talk to me about how you have to retrain contractors to understand that radio isn't dead. Billboard's not dead. Mass media is not dead. Yeah. Um, that has to be a frustrating conversation that you have. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's not frustrating. It's job security, you know, in, in, in my world, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's okay that a whole bunch of people don't buy into what I say because I only need one per city to say yes. Right. Cause we, we go exclusive, right. At the end of the day, we, we, as individual partners, there can be three people in Charlotte, all servicing accounts, but there can only be one Roy on one Morris Jenkins. Right. Our creative teams remain exclusive by the DMA or the demographic or the or the trade area. So if I'm in Greensboro today and I'm listening to this, Greensboro is off the table. Is that right? Yeah. If Greensboro is off the table. I won't. Me and my teams will not service Greensboro for anybody more than than Oscar uh, Lopez. That's right. But another partner at Wizard of Ads could. Yeah. Just as any other marketing agency on the planet could. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and then you have to roll the dice as to whether or not you've got the right partner team doing the right things, um, the way that we do them. And I, I adore my partners, uh, but not all partners, not all people are created equal. Right. And, yes, and at right. the end of the day, I am very confident in the people that I choose because that's what I've been built to do for the last 30 years. I've been really good at figuring out fit. I'm all about getting yes. it getting it right there and then delivering on an infrastructure that I've built that has really nothing to do with marketing per se. It has to do with operational excellence and experience excellence. I'm the only partner that comes across this uh, from a, from a sales standpoint, not a marketing standpoint. Marketing is absolutely quintessentially critical for every business to, to, to grow and succeed. I, I deeply believe that, but the, the Wizard of Ad Partners was fundamentally built off of marketing guys, right? Yeah. And while that's really good for one third of the business, the other two thirds, the buying experience and the employee experience, i.e. culture, are gaps in that equation that I bring to the table with me and my teams. And um, that's not to say that anybody else is less capable of delivering you an extraordinary media uh, strategy. They are, there are some really brilliant guys and, and some of them I don't, and girls, frankly, uh, that I 
that I don't necessarily team up with that would deliver wonderful results and do wonderful things for their clients. I am big fans of them. Uh, Ray Sagrin certainly stands out as one of those individuals who I just have all the love in the world for. He's really the guy who his work is, is what really drove me into, um, having that conversation with Roy about the buying experience and the, and the culture. That being said, you know, what I'm confident in is, is what I can deliver. And, and, and that comes down to the overarching strategy with the media buying and creative teams. Ultimately, that's where we know that we're going to be able to drive it home in a really, really big way for our customers is uh, tying in some of those other bits and pieces that aren't what most people would initially think of as marketing right? It's the pricing. Is that marketing? Yeah, technically it is, right? Um, I know how to and and have built many, many, many pricing strategies, right? And it's based off of economics, right? Of price elasticity. Some things like capacitors are less price elastic than uh, new units. New units have an elasticity that most people don't appreciate. They think that everyone wants to pay 7,500 bucks for a new HVAC system. Well, I can tell you that the clients that I'm working with that are pulling in 18.6 as an average sale would disagree with that. Right. And, and that's obviously different per market. And it's very difficult for a business owner to see out this, read the label of the bottle when they're inside the bottle and the notion or the thought of raising their prices from $7,500 to 18.6 doesn't happen overnight. It's a, it's a progressive iterative process, not a flip a switch process. But when your average sale almost triples and your closing ratio stays the same, you look at it and go, why didn't I do this two years ago or three years or five years ago, whatever the case might be, um, that matters. Right. And, and those are the things that we can uniquely deliver to our clients because we have, been down that road many times before um, yeah. with, with me and my teams, just from 20 years of experience prior to this in other industries where I've seen how little price actually affects the close of the sale when you know how to sell stuff. Well, let's talk about price while also making a bookmark to talk about things like PPC. So we're going to go that back mm-hmm. to that. That's my mental note. Let's talk about price. Tell me how you feel about and you've been through this in the car industry. Tell me how you feel about contractors putting pricing online. Oh, you know, you and I, you and I, you know, and we've talked about this before. And I love this conversation because there, there, there really is like these 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 three fundamental dynamic ways that you can you can approach thing. If we were to take you know time and, and uh, time and hours, billable hours off of the off of the table, and really just focus in on flat rate strategies, you know, there's there's this notion of how do we price? And my big belief is that we have to price things in a way that resonate with the customer. Price, like time and energy, are the money, time, and energy are the the three most precious things to human beings. And when there's no other measurable, markable factors of an individual home service company, we have to recognize that those three things are the three tests that we have to pass, right? The energy is how much nonsense and, and, you know, horse and pony show am I going to have to go through to endure with this salesy sales process, Um, right? Endure. Yeah. And, and we, and we want to, 
as Roy says, we want to eliminate friction wherever we can eliminate friction and purposely place friction where it's going to instigate an action, right? So friction is the key here when we think about it from a, from a persuasion standpoint. So what does that mean? It means that we can, we can approach this thing from a, a few different ways. I am a huge fan of online pricing. Carvana, CarMax, uh, in Canada, there's a there's a, a company called Clutch. In the UK and in Australia, they have perfected these models in the car industry, and I mean perfected them. You, you guys don't even have to deal with that kind of competition in North America right now because it's still a little bit too loosey goosey on the pricing in Wild West. Um, that that means opportunity. That means profit and revenue opportunity galore. Online pricing is such an opportunity for us. And there's a ton of ways we can approach price. We can approach it from a, a full suite um, solution. You know, here's how much it costs to, to buy the unit and install it. We can do price where we just show the price of the units and then go out to quote the installation because that's the variable based on a number of things that we need to figure out before we actually quote it on. That's a powerful positioning that you can take. What the customer is looking for is a belonging signal, right? When we look at Daniel Coyle's um, book, The Culture Code, he talks about belonging signals and the belonging signals fundamentally fall into two major categories, warmth and competence. When we demonstrate warmth, we're demonstrating that we're not going to murder you or your family when we're in there trying to install your new home service unit, uh, whatever it might be. The competence is that we're going to do it right the first time at a fair price. And depending on the type of buyer, they're willing to spend a little bit more, a little bit less for the competent convenience, or they're willing to spend less because they can't articulate any value or justify any value. They're left brain thinkers to pay any more than the least amount. It doesn't matter what kind of brand you have. So we have to make some choices there. That's a, another conversation. Pricing really boils down to it's so variable so many contractors have no idea that they could be asking twice as much money, right? And get it consistently as much as they're consistently getting it today. If they just stack the value, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. No different than in advertising. Your sales guys present it in a way where they go, oh yeah, that's no brainer. Let's do that. You're going to sell more money, more stuff. So presenting it online, completely reasonable and feasible, and it is absolutely in every way the future of the home service business. Don't pretend like it's not going to be a thing. It is going to be a thing. To some extent, it is a thing right now, and it's continuing to gain more and more legs. Why? Because there's such a disparity between um, the, the single Dan in a van you know, offering up that system for $7,500 to, you know, a, a premium high quality real business that is, that is selling that for twelve to $15,000 and much, much more depending on how they sell that the customer is wary, right? Because there is no major discernible difference between Dan and the van and the real business. Now, the real business says, well, we got all these expenses. And the customer goes, well, I don't give a crap about all your expenses. <laughs> I really give a crap about how much money is left in my pocket after we're done this. So you're going to have to come up with something more than, well, I've got all these expenses that the customer doesn't care about. How do we do that? We do that by 
articulating in a way, and it's different for each company. Some companies are going to articulate in one way. They're going to do it uh, in a hybrid pricing model where they show the price of the unit at the same price that they would buy it at Lowe's or or Home Depot for, you know, that five to $700 water heater and then installation separate, and then go out and pitch the value of the licensed plumber installing your hot water tank at a hefty price, arguably, but done right the first time without all of the chances of it going sideways on you. Permits, insurance, so forth. Vice versa, you could show a full meal deal and then go out and do a a second sell, you know, verifying the bits and pieces that would change the price. Lots of my clients are, are really getting good at selling bundles. And, and that's, that points back to Costco. Now, Costco is the number one per square foot profitable retailer on the planet, right? With an advertised low margin, right? With, yes. It's built into their model is to not exceed what 15% gross margin on anything, right? That's right. That's right. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. It's, it's 15 or 20. I can't remember which one it is. Regardless, it's, it's very low. It's grocery store margins is what, I, what we call it. Um, yeah. and, and at the end of the day, they win the game on operational excellence. They deliver extraordinary efficiencies. They win on the buy. They make the money on the buy is, is really where the success comes from. At the end of the day, is that a model that we can employ at the average home service company? Likely not. Likely not the thing that we're going to be able to present at the average home service company, but there are variations of that model that we can. Where they make their money is in the incremental profit. The very first ketchup that you buy on the two-pack of ketchup covers their fixed operations. The second bottle of ketchup is what we call incremental profit. That doesn't have the burden of the fixed operations that the first ketchup had. Right. And because it doesn't have that burden, it's making you more money. The first ketchup is the one that paid for the staff and the physical location and the advertising. And it was that second ketchup that made them the money. They do that a billion times every month. They make a whole bunch of money. Right. Everything from an operational excellence standpoint comes from the profitability of the bundle, not the box. And when our home service companies start really dying into selling, at least one or two, what I like to call CSS upgrades, uh, along with every one of their purchases, a CSS upgrade is a comfort, safety, or savings upgrade. They're going to make lots more money. One of my clients, his his, uh, top salesperson has a 76% conversion on tech generated leads. He has a 43% conversion on marketed leads. His average sale is $28,860 because he sells on average a minimum of two extra items on every single sale, plus a minimum of a two-year club membership and up to 10 years club membership on every single sale. I I want to keep going forever. I know I only have, (laughs) we only have 90 minutes. Um, You've got some bold takes on things like Google AdWords and Google in general, PPC. So fill me in on those and I have a couple questions to round it out here. Yeah, I've, I've been blessed being a part of the Wizard of Ads group to become friends with some pretty influential and significant people. Very often when you're sitting in a Wizard of Ads class, you're sitting beside somebody who works at the Facebook or Chick-fil-A or Apple or 
Google or uh, all of these different places. And it's pretty fascinating stuff to get to know these people. Last class I was at, I was sitting beside the girl who runs the social media for Morris Jenkins and the videographer who does all of their um, video. They're so good. They are so good. They are so good. And we chatted about her her up and coming campaign about toilets. And I'm not going to let you know anything more than that. But it's great. Um, I we laughed. We uh, we cried. We uh, you know, yeah. So at the end of the day, you end up get, you know making friends with all these fascinating people. And one of the conversations that we recently had was was around you know these big changes that we're already starting to see happen. And and look, there is nobody who is more versed in this than people who are are living and breathing this stuff every single day at the most intimate of levels. This individual that that I was speaking to at Google has written pieces of the algorithm that uh, allow for feature snippets and things like that. So there's, there's these people know what they're talking about. And there's, there's these big things that are happening in digital that are, that are making me a little bit uh, cognizant of how profoundly important the, the, the principles of branding are and will always be. This will never change. We're operating off of a baseline of principles. We don't operate in the world of tactics. Now, we, we employ tactics at the very end of our, all of our strategies for every single one of our customers. Everyone needs pay-per-click. Everyone needs lead gen. Everyone needs to have a digital presence that is relevant, particularly to their branded keywords, the near zero moment of truth keywords and their competitive keywords. But we're losing more and more control of that as the digital providers, and I'm not talking about the digital marketers, but the, the, the where the digital marketers are marketing, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Google, Bing, all of them. Major changes to lookalike targeting, major changes to retargeting, major changes to control testing abilities, right? Major, major changes to ad copy and the control you have over your ad copy that is being posted online. The major, major changes to quality real reporting that tells you the actual story. All of this stuff where most organizations are obsessed with measurement, half of those measurements are complete and utter red herrings. They are not actually telling you the true story. I'll give you the obvious example of pay-per-click. Google is not your number one ROI generator unless Google is the only place that you're advertising. And if you feel like your Google is generating you an average ticket that is better or worse than uh, any given in any given month, you are deceiving yourself. It's your salespeople that are determining your revenue and your average ticket and your conversion ratio based off the appointment was made by your CSR department. The, the real win here goes to your CSRs. The real win here goes to your, your technicians and your, and your salespeople who've made those sales and done a great job at it and respectfully and rightfully so. Google was just the last place that the customer looked before making a choice to call your place. Now, if you yes. think about Google, it is a sea of sameness. You can stand out with some ridiculous discount offer, like deeply discounted. By, by ridiculous, I mean deeply discounted offer that stands out against your competition by giving it away for free or by just happen chance that you happen to pay the most for the most expensive real estate on the page and win that game. 
uh, I, I've recently written an article about pay-per-click inflation and the impact that it's having on lead generation. And that matters a lot, right? Because it becomes a, a point where home service companies are going to quickly realize this is unsustainable. And I'll give you an example of that that Roy told us the other day. Roy was shopping for a, uh, what was it, a 40, I'll say 42 long jacket, just to make him sound slimmer than he may uh, say himself. Um, <laughs> I think 42 long sounds perfect for, for, for a statuesque gentleman like Roy. How, how tall is Roy? Roy's, Roy's like 6'1". Okay. Like he's not a short man. He is a, he is a, has a substantial Nordic build on him. Um, <laughs> I was going to say 42 long, it might, it might be a stretch on 6'1". Yeah. So Roy's looking for this 42 long jacket on Amazon and he's he's not getting it until page five of Amazon. And he's like, why in the world is this happening? Well, all of those clicks that he clicked through had to pay an ad space. Right. And Amazon is now picking up all of the profit off of those click throughs of all the broad rotating keywords that have nothing to do with 42 long. They just have to do with sport coat. Right. So Google's doing the exact same thing in home services. So where's the win going to be? It's going to be in the LSA, Google guaranteed spaces. Again, you're you're amongst a sea of other competition with very limited amounts of ways to persuade a person that you're the better option between others aside from Google uh, reviews and uh, the Google Maps where your where your your Google My Business is set up uh, proficiently and that you're showing up in that first pass of, of serve. So SEO and and organic search is really not going to be the big win come the future. It's not going to matter so much. And frankly, it shouldn't matter so much. If you provide a service, you shouldn't be um, have to dedicate, you know, significant resources to blogging out a bunch of stuff that, you know, appeases the Google gods. What you should be doing is providing plumbing services or fixing air conditioners, right? And spending your money on showing up where the customer is looking and full stop. So while the intentions may or may not be uh, good, the reality of it is, is that the cost of it is going through the roof. And ultimately those costs are going to cost you if you don't have a branded campaign, if they don't know who you are before they hit the, uh, hit the Googles. So what do we do? Brand your business, right? Because you're not going to have the tools and resources that you used to have with lookalike audiences and, and, uh, and being able to say the copy that you actually want to say, Google's going to pick your copy for you. Google is already picking your copy sure. for you. Um, and it's not to say that digital marketers aren't going to be as important, if not more important. They absolutely are. We adore our quality digital partners. We detest the terrible digital partners out there. Right. There's so um, many. There's so many in general. Not terrible, but it there's so many SEO companies. Yeah. And marketing. Yeah. Companies. And and look, there there are times and places where those services are absolutely critical. Do not get me wrong in saying that you have to delete your SEO. That is not true. On-site SEO is is critical. Domain ranking is critical. Um, but there are other things that are going to come on top of that first before that's the most important part to generate a lead today. And it's blending the both branded and what we call digital presence components together elegantly. That's where we're going to see our greatest success, not in trying to beat Angie's list. Who's got an entire staff of SEO writers, you know, 
writing about every last tiny nook and cranny of your marketplace to yes. take your leads and then sell them back to you at, at a premium. Uh, and then 10 of your uh, closest competitors <laughs> at the end of the day. And, and, and to Angie's credit, they're answering the question that customers are asking and that's why they're getting that traffic. They are. And, and then spending a lot of money and making sure that that gets, that gets lifted up and, yep. and they, they win the game against the competition out there. I, I sold a, a, a lead gen company out of Canada for a quarter, three quarters of a million dollars at the peak of, of COVID because I just didn't want to deal with the messy nonsense that had, that, that came along with, with lead gen anymore. And we had built a product that was, um, worth more to us to sell off and, and, and relieve ourselves of the brain damage than it was to continue uh, trying to convince everyone that they should spend, you know, King's ransom on these leads that they could generate themselves if they just had an ounce of proficiency. So it's, it it is a, it is a catch 22 that a lot of companies are are hungry for. We're not blind as a branded uh, strategy company that lead gen and, and digital presence are critical. Back to your question about, the difference between what the obvious choice is versus what the benefits of branding are, it comes back to one specific graph that was developed about a decade ago by two research scientists out of uh, the UK, Benet and Fields. And this graph um, with with deep, deep, deep amount of research uh, applied to it shows us the difference between what we call sales activation, i.e. lead gen, uh, the promotion that you run, and then it wanes off and you have to, it, it drops off and then you have to run a new promotion. Then it drops off. That stays flat over time. You'll only grow as big as your market demands, right? And at any given time, you're getting a sliver of the 7% of customers who are in the market today. That in the short run, if we were measuring it just in the very small increments of a month or even six months, we would go, of course, that's the winner. We're going to do sales activation from now to the end of time. And if you're in a giant market like uh, like California, where you've got uh, you know Orange County or LA, when you got a 10 million customers at your doorstep, you're 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 going to be able to build a monstrous company and not do any branding. Why? Because you're paying arguably too much money for a lead that's coming through and and making money off of it because the demand is just there. Well, the majority of the planet, you just don't have that luxury of of having these kind of you know superstar stories that we hear about. Now, obviously, if you don't have proficient operations, you're not going to get that customer back and grow your company over time. But all things being equal, that's one way of generating revenue. And you'll hit this ceiling. And many of our customers that come on at 10, 15 million dollars, they've hit a ceiling. Sure. And they're like, we just, we need more. We don't know where to get it. And we've just kind of been sitting here for a while and trying to figure out how to break through. Well, the only way you're going to be able to break through is by being the name that a customer knows, likes, and trusts before they need your services and that they bypass Google altogether and just type your name into the search engine. Worst case scenario, like they do at Gettle, pick up the 500 or 1,000 leads, I'm guessing, uh, from from little boy in a flashlight because we've embedded that, that, that brandable chunk as we call it into the brains of the customers over and over and over again through the, the, the copy, but also the billboard campaign, which shows 
predominantly a little boy with a flashlight because <laughs> Gettle is a mouthful to, to spell and, and remember when you're trying to Google it in the middle of a pipe burst or whatever the case might be. Where do we get those leads? Branded campaigns. So there is a huge opportunity for, for businesses to align their digital and their branded campaigns into a single strategy than to run this overpriced, overexpensive, unnecessarily high pay-per-click strategy by itself and then be at the mercy of seasonal demand. And have one continuous conversation with your customer forever. Oh, yeah. It is. It's yeah. It's like a, it's like a little mini sitcom when you, when you start seeing these ads, ads individually run by themselves are good, right? They'll get you some business and a little bit of recognition, name recognition, a brand that builds off of this and continues an ongoing narrative like friends or, or Seinfeld or any of these other famously successful shows that carry on the conversation and, and, and have you tuning in for more that's when you win the game. That's when people are invested in you emotionally and they've stepped into your gravity well rather than being pulled in by some price sensitive based model where you're, where you're going to disappoint them the minute that you tell them what the price of actually fixing anything actually is. Ryan, you've been so generous with your time. We're well into an hour and a half of this and I could probably just keep this conversation going forever like a good ad campaign. Um, but I know we need to wrap and, and I want to wrap with some advice. You, you've got people listening who are startups who are, um, gosh, people not even in the industry, but you know, two, three, $4 million companies. You've got big companies listening to this. If someone is stuck today with their brand and really, you know, breaking through and being that company that people know, like, and trust and think about in, in Google, their name, what advice can you give them as we wrap here today? Yeah, you know, there's 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 a few things that really kind of come top of mind for me. Um, if you're a startup and you don't have the resources or don't feel that you want to to make that kind of heavy investment up front in 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 building out a brand and spending the money on truck wraps and things like that with 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 Dan Antonelli or or building out the brand story and putting on a campaign, do yourself a favor and go to the Wizard Academy. It's a not for profit school. Um, They've never had a penny of debt in the entire uh, 25 years that they've been open. Um, you can stay on campus if you sign up for the classes early. And the, the class that I'd recommend going to see, it changed my life, is is Magical Worlds. It really does open your eyes in a way that you would just, you'd never imagine. And, and then that second class that I'm a huge fan of, it's my favorite class of all of them, is, is called Portals in the 12 Languages. And it talks about the 12 different ways that you can influence and persuade the mind through different types of things like symbology, music, phonemes, uh, hue, color, tone, all kinds of things that really just kind of get you thinking about how you can influence a person and persuade a person or, or a group of people in a significant way. That's a great place to start your, your, your journey. The second thing I would say is stay curious. Be really, really, really curious about things and be willing to change your opinion. Ray Dalio talks about this in Principles. And uh, it's, really, it's really easy for us to kind of get mired in our ego and our, and our worldview and our limited beliefs and, and think, well, you know, radio doesn't work because I tried it once for 10 seconds and, and uh, my ads were terrible, but you know, whatever, it's terrible. Radio works, uh, you know, postcards work. I don't care what your marketing strategy is. We can make it work with the right strategy, but more importantly, the right message, 
right? The message is everything when, when you start looking at that. So be curious, be open to those, those changes, um, learning the nuances and, and to, uh, to, to accept things less as the tactical bits and pieces that a, that a company who's selling something to you is trying to convince you on versus what's the overarching strategy and how we're going to be able to move this in a big way as a unified front. The third thing, my big passion, club memberships, club membership is everything. Proactive, preventative, scheduled maintenance. Proactive, preventative, scheduled maintenance is going to be the cornerstone of your long-term success. Grow your club membership, grow your business exponentially. These people are paying you to take themselves off the market and put their car on your hoist and no one else's hoist to find things that you can sell them. It's huge. Beautiful, beautiful and brilliant. Thank you. And to our listeners who've made it this far, they deserve to be able to connect with you if you're still listening. So I will let you share what's the best way that our listeners can reach out to you, Ryan. I, I love talking to anyone, whether you want to do, do work with us or not, or where you're just curious, just, just give us a, give, give me an email, Ryan shoot at uh, wizardofads.com. My, my last name is spelled C H U T E like parachute. R-Y-A-N-C-H-U-T-E at wizardofads.com. I'm here to happily help you, you know, and it's, it's not about us making money off of you. It's about us serving the industry. When we do that right, we know that good things will come to the people who fit with us. Awesome. Well done. I have a feeling you will be a recurring guest on this podcast if time and resources will allow uh, for that. So thank you all. Um, very much. Thank you again, Ryan. And listeners, you could do me a huge favor and you could go to the podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts and find a way to rate and review this podcast. Give us feedback. When you do that, you will get a shout out on air and I'll send you a dad hat, which is the first official merch (laughs) of the Change Your Filter podcast. So listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and goodbye. If you like this podcast, please do me a huge favor and go to wherever you listen to podcasts and write a review. Use my name, use our guest's name, tell us how much you love the Change Your Filter podcast. And by all means, follow us on all social channels at HVAC Podcast. That's at HVAC Podcast. Thank you.